Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Let's go to God in prayer as we start our time in His Word. God, thank you for being the awesome and mighty God that you are. Thank you for the love and mercy that you shower upon us every single day. And God, we are grateful to have the freedom to come and gather uh, in this room today to study, to worship, to praise you, God. I thank you for everyone and the effort that they have made today to be a part of this time. I pray now that we open our hearts and minds to your word. May we be all about you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Before we get started, I want you to look at the person sitting next to you and tell them, I've waited all week to worship with you. Now look at that other person that you really don't care about. Tell them the same thing. I've waited all week to worship with you. You believe that this morning? Have you waited all week for this time? All week for this moment? It's one of the most important things you're going to do all week. And I hope that you feel that way. If you have your Bibles, hold them up. Let me see them. If you brought your lightsabers instead, thank you for charging those this morning. And open them, turn them, make them go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. This morning we're going to ask the question, what is God really like? What is God really like? And that is an interesting question, maybe on a a lot of different levels. But one of the things that I I want to maybe share with you and and, and put us on the same page with, because I think this is important to understand, is we have a tendency sometimes to put earthly things, earthly faces on spiritual things. And, And God is one of those people. As we talk about God as a father this morning, I want to acknowledge the fact that some of you, some of you look at your father and you think he is the most amazing man that's ever walked the face of the earth. That only Jesus himself could be greater than your dad. Some of you are on the other end of that spectrum. And you look at your dad and you go, as long as I can be everything opposite of what he was and is, I will be a great parent. I will be a great dad myself. And so sometimes if we're not careful, we tend to put our earthly view, especially of our father maybe, onto and project it onto God. And we think, well, God is a father, we get that, but if God's anything like my dad, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want to have anything to do with him. And and so we, like I said, we take our earthly idea and we project it on a spiritual thing. And that's not fair to God. That's something that we would be guilty of. But in our story today from Luke chapter 15, this story, uh, the third parable of something that is lost. If you were with us in Bible class, we covered the first two. This parable is about a lost what? A lost son. 
And he tends to get all the attention in this story. When you hear people teach about it and preach about it, the lost son tends to get all the attention. What I've decided to do is is right now for the next few minutes, there's a clock up here. I'm not going to promise to pay much attention to it, but it's here. During that time, we're going to talk about the father tonight. We're going to look at this very same story and we're going to talk about the older son. So I encourage you to come back tonight, hear this second part of this lesson, if you will. And if for no other reason, come back tonight and eat. Okay, that's that may be the best part of your day. You never know. Luke chapter 15. Let's jump into verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring a fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's break our, our passage down And talk about some things together this morning. The first thing that I want you to understand about who is God as your father is we serve a God. We have a father who regrets your rebellion. He is a God who regrets your rebellion. Now, this is how this is going to work out. You've got two sons, two two children in this family, an older son and a younger son. Simply because the older son got there first, some people don't think this is fair. As the oldest of the family, myself, I totally believe this is a fair situation, okay? The oldest son gets two-thirds of everything his dad has just because he's the oldest. The youngest son is then left with how much? Can you do math? A third of it. So his youngest son, he comes to his dad... And what does he say to his dad? This is in essence what he says. Hey, dad, I know eventually you're going to die. And I don't have the patience to wait around on that. So if you could just go ahead and get together all that's mine anyway and give it to me, I'll be on my way. Now, how many of you would have gotten an inheritance if that's what you did growing up to your dad? How many of you would have gotten something, but it wouldn't have been an inheritance? Okay, so this dad, he's looking at his son, and his son's just like, 
This is the ultimate slap in the face. Everything he had done and and worked for. And I'm sure he looked at his life and said, one day I'm going to give this to my son. They're going to they're going to have this. They're going to benefit from this. He says, Dad, I'm not going to wait around. Just give it to me. And what does this passage say that the dad did? Now, we can tell by the way he acts at the end of the passage that it hurt. Okay, as any dad would, it was painful for him to go through what he went through here. But what does the dad do? He goes and he sells everything off that he needs to. He he cashes in his assets and he comes back to his son and he says, son, here, take, take it. I believe there's an interesting idea here. And it's the idea that we have a God who regrets our rebellion. But you know what? He'll let us walk away. We serve a God who regrets our rebellion, but he will let us walk away. Christianity, and I heard this not too long ago when I first heard it. There's a couple of things in my life that I've heard that I'm like, that's not true. And then I hear them and think about them and I'm like, okay, that that is true. And this guy said, Christianity is 100% voluntary 100 percent voluntary now we like to teach that hey jesus did this for you so you have to do this for him right but do you have to no you should want to you should desire to but you don't have to serve god that is your choice you can make that decision you can be a child of god for a period of time and and walk away from that relationship Now, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I want you to understand on the very front end of this, that once you're a child of God, you will always be what? A child of God. Nothing's going to change the fact that God is your father. But what you can do is you can walk out of the house and put yourself in a situation where you no longer benefit from the things that your dad has to offer. You don't get mom's cooking anymore when you walk out of the house. You don't get the comfort and security of, of a free room and board when you walk. Dad is still dad. He will always be dad. But you can put yourself in a situation where you no longer receive the benefits that come along with being part of the family. So God says, look, I love you, but you're free to go. I'm not going to make you stay. A verse that we quote all the time. And you know it if you've been here. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore what? Go and make disciples. Jesus says something really cool right there. He goes, all authority has been given to me. All of it. So you know what he could have said? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore You will love me. I'm going to make you love me. Did he have the authority to make us love him? Did he have the power to make us love him? Yes, absolutely. But what does he say? He says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, as my disciples, as the church here at Ninth Avenue, your job is to go and convince people to love me. Convince them to choose me. What kind of a relationship is it if it's a forced relationship if there's no love involved in it is it really truly a godly relationship no 
God says, I want you to choose me. But if you don't, I'm not going to stop you. The dad goes, hey, go ahead, leave. And that's how God is. When Eve is looking there at the tree and she sees this fruit, did God run down and go, Eve, stop, stop, stop. You don't need to. No. He said, this is your choice. When David's standing on top of his house while the rest of his army is out at battle and he's looking down at Bathsheba and he goes and he looks at his servant, he goes, go get me that woman. Was God standing at the door going, servant, if you take one more step, I'm making you disappear. No. He says, it's your choice. You do what you want to do. I want you to choose me. I long for you to choose me. But if you don't, that's up to you. You're going to put yourself in a bad situation. And I'm going to regret your rebellion. But it's your choice. And so my question is, what is your choice? I also want you to understand this morning that rebellion doesn't always look like the pig pen. And follow me here. Rebellion doesn't always look like the pig pen. Some people rebel against Jesus. And listen, we can tell. We can see it in the way that they live. Everything in their life is a wreck. Everything's a mess. You know, you can, this person has rebelled against Jesus. Did you know it is possible for you to put on your suit and tie, for you to put on your best dress and your prettiest earrings and to sit in this building for four hours a week and yet still be rebellious to God? You can come into this room and you can sing, you can take communion, and then you can walk out those doors and you can live the life you want to live and still look like to other people like you're living the way God wants you to in the building. But yet when you walk out the doors, you're rebelling. Rebelling, rebellion doesn't always look like the pig pen. Rebellion is selfishness. Rebellion is I'm going to do it my way regardless of what you say, God. And God regrets that. But he says, you make the choice. It's up to you. Well, here's the next thing I want us to think about. We serve a God who runs when you repent. We serve a God who runs when you repent. So the, the, the guy leaves. He goes off. He squanders all of his dad's money. Verse 13 said he squandered his wealth in wild living. So he leaves with a pocket full of money and he ends up in the, what kind of pen? Pig pen, slopping hogs. Any of you ever, any of you or your parents or grandparents ever have a slop bucket for the dogs or something? My, my granddaddy, uh, he used to have a slop bucket on the back porch and you know, for like three days he'd rake everything into the bucket and then at the end of those three days he'd go and he'd, you know, feed the, Dogs with it. I don't understand how his dogs survived. I don't get it. But that is the grossest thing that I've ever seen in my life. Middle of August, this time of year, a slop bucket sitting on the back porch for three days. So you've got this, Jesus telling this story to a group of Jews, right? Jews look at a pig and they're a what kind of animal? Unclean, you don't have anything to do with them. And this son, this, this guy in this story, he goes, I was longing to not just eat a pig. Barbecue sounded real good at that point. I wanted the stuff that went in them that made them unclean. I would imagine that there was an audible gasp when Jesus told that part of the story. I mean, he was at the lowest point that he could ever be in in his life. Now, scholars, people a lot smarter than me, 
have found a very similar story in Scripture or, or in tradition, not in Scripture, but in tradition, in Jewish tradition. And the story is very similar up to that point. The son goes, I want to eat all this stuff. I look around and I go, hey, I'm at this point of total desperation. My life was so much better at home. I'm going to go home and try to just be a servant, not be uh, a son anymore. I'm going to go back and either going to get to this spill. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And in the story, in the story that the, the, the people around him would have known, it goes, look, you made your choice. You made your decision. We don't want to have anything left to do with you anymore. Because you see, in the old law, there was a very strict understanding of how you responded to your parents and to your family. For all the kids in here this morning, can your parents be kind of overbearing when it comes to discipline sometimes? Any of you have overbearing disciplined parents? Any of you just afraid to raise your hand? I want all of our kids, if you still live at home, kids, stand up. Stand up. If you still live at home, stand up. I want to read you something from Scripture. Listen to this now, okay? If you had a stubborn child in the Old Testament, under the old law, listen to what Deuteronomy 21 says. If a man, oh, there's something under there. If a man has a stubborn or rebellious son who does not obey. Parents, any of these kids standing up stubborn and rebellious sometimes? Okay, so there's a laugh, so that's a yes. His father and mother shall bring him to the elders and say, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. Then all the men shall stone him to death. Bunch of good looks right now. For those of you standing up, you're okay with mom and dad now, right? Like everything's good. Y'all can sit down. That's the normal way the story ends. But in this particular story that Jesus tells, when he sees his son a long way off, what does his dad do? He runs to him. Now, you may not be able to tell by my glorious physical physique. (laughs) I don't run. If I run, you need to pay attention because one of two things going on for you. You need to start running or it's too late for you. I don't run. And for a Jewish man who essentially what you could consider is wearing a dress, it's even more obscene for him to pull his dress up, his robe, and start tucking it into his undergarment and take off running. But he didn't care. Why? Because that's my son. And I see him. And I know that's him. And when he has decided to come back home to me, I'm going to run to him. You serve a God. I'm all off on my screen here, but don't worry about it. You serve a God that when you, when you step out of fellowship and you're in that kind of back and forth, when you decide to come home, you serve a God, you have a father who says, I will run and meet you halfway. You just start. You just make the first step. And as you're coming, as I see you, I'm going to. It doesn't matter if I look so stupid to everybody else. I'm going to run to you. And then look at the rest of what he says he did. It says he got to him 
And the first thing he did is he wrapped his arms around him and he hugged him and kissed him. But the text there carries the idea of what we would call smothered him with kisses. You got an aunt or a grandmother in the family that you hate going over to her house because it's just kiss, 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 kiss. That's what he did. But that's what, the next thing he says is he says, hey, go bring the what? The robe. Go bring the robe and put on him. And that's a very amazing image to me because we are told by Jesus that if we're faithful unto death, we're going to get a crown and we're going to get this robe. And that's such a cool image because I am such a dirty person because of sin in my life. This young man was filthy. Where had he been? Where had he been working? In the what? Pig pen. You think that's a very sanitary place to work? Not at all. And then he walks home. And he's sweating and dirty and he's got all this pig manure on him and it's all crusted up. I bet he stinks to high heaven, as we say. And what does dad do? Wraps his arm around him, smothers him with kisses. And then he takes this robe, this robe of righteousness, and he wraps it around his son. And he covers up all the dirt and all the ugliness. And he says, now there's my son. And he says, go get the family ring. Go get the family ring. I'm going to put this ring on your finger again. Because when that ring's on your finger, that means you're a what? You're a son. You're part of this family once again. And then he says, go put sandals on his feet. Because servants, they go barefooted. My son, he wears shoes. Man, that's a... That is just an amazing image. Amen. Okay, we did this once before in class. Let's try that one more time. This is an amazing image. Amen. That just means you agree with what the word of God says. That we serve a God who regrets when you leave, but when you come home, he is going to treat you as if you never left. As if you never left. Now, The brothers and sisters, sometimes we struggle with that as if you never left part, right? We like to keep score. We like to, hey, you've always, what does his brother say at the end of the story? Hey, dad, I've got my robe on. You know why? I never took it off. We're going to talk about that tonight. So come back. But he runs after you and he welcomes you home as if you never left and he restores you. He restores you when you repent. Now, repentance is an interesting idea. And I want you to understand true repentance this morning. True repentance is not just turning away from the bad that you're doing. Because I can turn from bad things and still my heart is not where it needs to be. I can walk in the church building and do all the things that a Christian is supposed to do on a Sunday morning and my heart still not be where a Christian needs to be. True repentance starts in your heart. It's looking at God through confession. See, confession and repentance are the same side or different sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Repentance is when I confess to God, God, I've been doing things my way and they're not working anymore. Matter of fact, God, I realized they never worked. I want to do things your way now. That is confession and repentance is actually doing those things God's way. So God restores us. Now, as we talk about this story, I know that there are some of you here this morning. There are some of you 
that as we talk about people who have walked away, and I want you to look around the room this morning, there are some empty pews around you. Some of those pews used to be occupied by people who have passed on. Some of those empty pews are formerly occupied by people maybe who have left town, moved away. Some of those pews used to be occupied by people that were and probably still are your friends. People that are still your brother and sister in Christ. Who have decided, God, I'm going to do things my way. One of the things that I love about this story is that this son always knew he could come home. He always knew that. And my question to you as a church this morning, this is maybe the more personal challenge. Are you creating an environment that people want to come back to? Are you creating an environment that when they come home, they know they're going to be loved? They know that they're going to be welcomed. They know that when Jesus forgives them, you're going to forgive them as well. Because you see, a lot of our churches are dying. I'm not saying that you are. That's not my point. But the reason a lot of churches are dying is because they're not a place that welcomes the prodigal, the lost, back. And if God welcomes him home, what should we do? We should welcome him as well. So that's our personal challenge today. An amazing story with some amazing, challenging, challenging things for us to do and to live in our life. But I ask you this morning, are you serving that God? Do you look at that God and say, I'm giving you my all? And if so, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for you and excited for you. Or do you find yourself, like many of us do, distracted, distracted by the world? Hey, listen, there are more distractions today than maybe ever in the history of mankind. We carry a distraction around in our pocket, and every time it buzzes, we jump. You know, we got to figure out what's going on in the world. Uh, we're, we're, we're addicted to distractions. There's a lot of distractions, and it's easy to get pulled off center, to get pulled off focus. It's easy to be rebelling and maybe not realize that that's what we're tru- truly doing. Because the Satan is so good at making us think we're all right when our backs are really turned to God. Maybe that's where you are today and you just need to come home. Maybe you've never really left, but you've kind of been outside in a tent in the front yard, not in the house enjoying really what God has to offer. Or maybe you've stepped back in this building today and you've just been gone. Come home. Come back to Jesus. Allow him to be that father to you. And allow him to love you as if you've never left.